1: Welcome to Talk Is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And Dean Malenko returns today, my old rival, my old friend. Uh, we're talking about his decision to leave WWE after spending 19 years behind the scenes as a producer. Uh, he explains why coming to AEW was an easy decision for him which of the younger talent he thinks will be the big superstars in the coming years and who he's really enjoyed working with so far in AEW. We're going to talk about Ray Mysterio because it was basically Dean who put Ray on the map in the United States and why he calls AEW's Rey Phoenix a modern-day Mysterio. He's also talking about his time in Japan working with the British Bulldogs, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, some great Eddie Guerrero stories, uh, his relationship with Vince McMahon, what it was like to work for him in the WWE environment for almost 20 years. Uh, But the major reason that Dean is back on Talk is Jericho is to talk about something happening in his life, very serious, something he's been dealing with for the last six years or so. And that's Parkinson's disease. Dean talks about his diagnosis, explains what Parkinson's is and what it's been like to live with a disorder and why he's decided to talk about it publicly now. So let's get to it with Dean Malenko right here on Talk is Jericho. So it's actually um, pretty cool. We're in Jacksonville for a couple of days uh, in between tapings, it gives us a chance to kind of do some podcasts and, and uh, some workouts and a floor hockey or street hockey tournament. And one of the things that uh, that D. Malenko did actually yesterday, we can actually start with this to be honest with you. Is he did a seminar here um, uh, at the hotel with. Anybody from the AEW roster that wanted to show up, and you had a hell of a, of a turnout that came to, 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 to,
2: to see you. Yeah, we had a real good crowd. A lot of the kids came out and uh, enjoyed uh, my talk and just kind of going over things that we're looking to get done now and in the future and just trying to motivate talent and uh, keep them at a level that we need them.
1: And after the first year of, of AEW... Um, I mean, we've grown a lot and there's still kind of sometimes things that we could work on, but how has it been for you? I mean, like you said, you and I kind of, I I had the New Japan buffer, but both of us coming here was kind of interesting because, you know, we've been around for a long time and you always kind of hear the stories about how uh, something new is going to happen, someone's opened up a company and most of the times it never really works. Um, how has it been for you, first of all, to come here in the first place? Was it a hard decision to make and then kind of the development?
2: It um, took all but uh, two minutes to make me des- decide. Really? Yeah. That I, quick? Um, it, w- it was time for me to leave uh, my uh, past, uh, past place of uh, employment and um, from a mental standpoint, and just wanted to try something new, something different, try to be challenged again. You know, working with a bunch of young kids that are like on the cusp of making it and just need that one little, you know, step forward a little bit. And I I thought I could do that here and get a bunch of guys that are very talented and just kind of move them up to the next level.
1: And I felt the same way. And that's one of the reasons why Kimmy said to be challenged, you know, to to, to be challenged again. And also, I, I just found in WWE that we, you knew what, what, what to expect there. You knew what was going to happen. You knew a position on the show you would be on. Um, I'm sure for you, you knew exactly what your duties were and what kind of reactions you were going to get no matter what it is that you did, depending on what kind of mood Vince is in. So I can see your motivation for wanting to come here. But it was a, l- a little bit, uh, not scary at first, but a little bit of, uh, unknown what's going to happen with us. Yeah, anytime you jump on ship to a kind of a
2: startup company, you, 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 know, you take a risk, there's a risk. Uh, I've taken them before, I've left uh, one place to another a couple times already, so, you know, third time's a charm, so they say, Mm -hmm. but um, I really like what what Tony was was about and his thought process and and what he was going to try to deliver, had a great crew of guys, and the last year has been a lot of fun, a lot of growing pains, but um, one thing I do like is that the locker room seems to all have gelled together to work towards that one common goal, Mm -hmm. and that's to get this company over.
1: Well, and that's what I was saying even I was talking to Evil Uno and Stu came up here earlier and we were talking they played in the floor, uh, street hockey tournament as well and it's like I can't remember any time there was ever that sort of a vibe in, in WWE you know where the guys are getting together to put on their own street hockey tournament with the crew and the camera guys and it was just really kind of cool camaraderie there you know. Well, it's like you watch the guys backstage, even the guys that aren't working the match per se. Are they the match before
2: even after or a couple after whatever? They're there supporting these guys, and they're cheering them on. They're high-fiving when they come back to the curtain. And it's, it's a lot of fun to see. There's a lot of young, up-and-coming talent. They're helping each other. They're guiding each other. It's, it's very refreshing, to be honest with you.
1: What are some of the things that we've improved on a lot over the last year? Like when we all started together as as a live TV crew, it was kind of strange because a lot of guys didn't have live TV experience. Maybe only ten percent of us did. Yeah, I think everybody's just you know
2: starting to gel together. Starting to there's a trust factor. Everybody's trusting each other. Um, talent's working a lot harder. Talent's getting smarter and telling stories and getting the psychology aspect of the business and uh, what uh, Tony's expectations are from from They're starting to understand where where Tony's coming from and what he wants. So I think we've
1: done leaps and bounds in the year that we've started. And even for you, too, as a, as a coach, as an agent, has your role been more defined as as time went on? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, get to work with a lot of different people. So
2: that's been fun, uh, working with guys like, you know, Darby and Jungle Boy. And these guys are nothing but, you know, just sponges. And they just want to learn every single week. And they're very very polite and thanking you and very much respectful to the guys that have been there that paved the way for them
1: and it's again just a lot of fun and a great environment you know it's interesting that you mentioned that because you and I have worked together for so long that they would always just put us together for you to be the the coach and they just figured we're the only two that could stand each other (laughs) yeah but I said it's almost a waste because I pretty much know what I'm going to do and I can always ask your advice on on different ideas but I just thought it was so much better like you mentioned for you to be working with some of the guys to teach them the same way that you taught me or or Benoit or Eddie you always were the guy that kind of helped us put together matches right from the start right no that was great that was a great point and, and it gives me a chance to
2: work with other people I get mm-hmm. tired of working with you
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: There's lots of stuff to talk about, but something that I think is really interesting that you wanted to jump into was talking about your your Parkinson's and it's something that over the years you know you've dealt with and, and, and something like right now you're shaking a little bit and it's you actually came to me to do talk as Jericho to kind of discuss the whole situation with with your condition. well I kind of tell you what happened was I'm 60 years old so they say usually around 60
2: is the age when you start to get it but I got it about six seven years ago.
0: And about
2: a year ago, I was a star cast in Chicago and I was asked to do a and a session with Tony Giovanni. And I got a little nervous and a little scared because I was going to be out in front of people. And when when I've, I haven't really been in front of crowds a lot, uh, and of course, I work, you know, which is which is a different environment. But you get nervous sometimes because you don't want people to know what you got. you are like trying to hide it. Parkinson's is a very difficult thing to cover up. Mm-hmm. It looks like you're freezing cold, or you, you're drinking, it, you're jonesing, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I don't, I don't want people to think that. So that's one of the reasons why I asked you to do this. And that day when I started talking, I realized the microphone was really light. And what I mean by that is things that are very light, like silverware. If there's no weight to it, I'll shake more. Mm-hmm. It's just it's very interesting the way all that works. So I had. Tony, or the people there actually gave me a stand, and when I put the stand up and the microphone in there, I didn't have to use my hands. I almost felt like Stevie Wonder leaning in on the piano, which I kind of did with my head, and I just kind of blurted out, you know, the damn Parkinsons, and a couple of people caught it, and kind of got on social media and ran a little bit, but nothing really, really big. And you know, Parkinsons is one of those things where it's a very odd disease, uh, and there's no cure for it. The secret is to Try to find things that slow the progression down of it, so you have a quality of life that you want to spend. Um, my family knows about it; they've been extremely supportive. My kids don't make a big deal about it; we have fun with it. My wife will never let me feel sorry for myself, <laughs> which is really easy to do because you go through a, like a gamut of emotions when you when you have it. It's like you're pissed off at the world. You know, it's the why me? Right. You know, why am I doing it? Um, then you get then you get upset when you're trying to button your shirt and you can't do that. Um, but I'm on pills and medication that have really been helping as of late. So I haven't really made, you know. First started out with um, like my left hand trembling. Went to a couple of different doctors because there's no blood test or no urine test, no anything that actually says you have Parkinson's. Mm. There's so many different diseases that connect with what I'm doing. So it's like the best three out of five. So I had the tremor. Um, one thing I didn't notice was when you're walking, one arm doesn't swing, which is usually my left. That's a big sign of Parkinson's, and um, when you have, when you're clicking your your middle finger and your thumb together, you're off you're off timing. And it was always on my left hand, never my right. So when you put all these three things together, it's pretty much that you have Parkinson's. Plus, I have three different doctors that that acknowledge it all at the same time. So it's been a little bit of a difficult ride. Um, again, the hard part was just trying to live every day, and every day is a different day. I always compare or. Should I say, I compare having Parkinson's to like having a roommate that never leaves. <laughs> because every morning you wake up, you, you have this other person with you that's either not gonna let you get out of bed real easy, gonna make you shake, and it kind of takes over your body. So that can be a little crazy at times, but I'm kind of getting used to it. But I really have tried to just kind of laugh things off. You know, like my 15 year old, if I'm shaking, she'll come over and put her hand on me, and then she starts shaking and just have fun with it. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. You know, it's I, I'm not going to get rid of it. It's always going to be there. Hopefully with uh, modern medicine and going forward, that we that can
1: slow this down to one point. And if not, I'll deal with it when whatever. It's interesting because um, I'm a big fan of Michael J. Fox. And obviously yeah. Mike's one of the guys that has Parkinson's and then had to quit work for a while, but then made a little bit of a comeback where he was Michael J. Fox with Parkinson's. Right. And there's a great episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where he's him and Larry David are kind of enemies mm. and everything Mike does he blames it on Parkinson's like Larry's doodling on a magazine and doodles a Hitler mustache on this magazine that we find out was Michael J Fox's wife's father it's the only one he has so then he goes to get Larry a drink with a coke and Larry opens the coke and it sprays all over his face and he's like you did that on purpose and Michael J Fox is like Parkinson's like he's making right like you said, making light of it, like you can't deny it, I think, right? No, no. So that's a great way to look in at the, it. And uh, like, as soon as I,
2: I had it, the first two people I thought was, that's what Michael J. Michael J. Fox has, and also that's mom, what Muhammad Ali says.
1: Hey, what, who has Muhammad it? Ali. Oh, yeah, 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 right, And right, right, also right. too. Right. And even,
2: uh, even uh, the last couple of years, like Linda Ronstead has had it. Yeah. And she can't sing anymore, because one, one thing it does... One thing I have done—I spend a lot of time Googling, as, as the rest of the world does—to educate yourself about mm-hmm. whatever. So I was trying to educate myself about Parkinson's and what to look forward to or not forward to. Is that uh, one of the things it does? It really messes up with your vo- your voice, mm. from stuttering to talking really low, like if I don't remember when Muhammad Ali would speak. Yeah, it was so low you could barely hear him. You know. got a gruff voice yeah as it yeah. is so from Wolfman Jack to whoever <laughs> yeah but um, like other things like handwriting when you when you write you start to write even smaller than you normally do hmm. just because of the disease and also to your motor skills hmm. you know like I'll notice like sometimes in the morning it's hard to get out of bed but I don't know if sometimes is that Parkinson's or is that the business hmm. You know, for 30 years right right you know so it's, it's hard it's hard to figure that part out. But uh, my big thing was just I wanted you know I want I want people to know that you know if you see me and I'm shaking I'm not cold <laughs> unless it's cold outside. But I didn't want people you know second guessing. I don't want people feeling sorry for myself. It's it's just one of those things that I that I have that uh um, you know just another obstacle in my way.
1: Do we know at this point what can cause Parkinson's? They've said very, anything
2: from. Um, you know different pesticides to head trauma and somewhat hereditary somewhat not um, basically there's a th- chemical in your body called dopamine dopamine it's what's made in your brain and sends out to your to the rest of your body and when you have parkinson's it de- 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 depletes mm. the dopamine in your system so that's what I'm on now I am take four pills a day It's spaced out through the day that gives that dopamine, dopamine to right, you. right right and, you know, there's things like when I'm ready, when I'm a candidate for, it, you can, because at one point, there's going to be a point where, okay, that's not working anymore, so what's next? You know, and you'll try just about anything to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is they put a chip in your brain. And then, yeah, really? Not a potato chip, just a regular <laughs> chip. A chip in your brain where they have a constant dopamine running through your, your brain. I've talked to a couple of people that have been very successful with it. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be successful with it. Another one is the uh, stem cells. Mm. I know, uh, I have a, there's a couple guys in the business that know what I have, Ray Mysterio being one of them, Ray's been just a great guy about it. In fact, he's always trying to find stuff for me and mm. real good friend. He's been trying to get me literature on stem cells because he, he Cause goes- he's used it, hasn't Right, he? yeah, several times. he goes to like a different country? And yeah, I think it's uh, Columbia. Columbia, right. And he's went several times and always calls me on it and says, whenever you're ready. know, I've to talk talked to this doctor and. You know, there's been a lot of success. The problem is a lot of stuff has to be approved by the FDA. You know, and you got to be careful what you take, too, because you don't you know you don't know what the side effects are or if there right. is any.
1: Well, and that's the thing. That's why he has to go to a different country probably right. for that, right? Right. To, to to kind of avoid the FDA and that sort of a thing. Right. Is this something, like you mentioned, head trauma, like you mentioned, is it hard getting up because of the Parkinson's or because of the being in the business? Is it something that could have been from all the bumps over the years? Yeah, but I would, I wasn't
2: really one of those guys that came off the top rope.
1: No, but just but, bumping in general. Yeah, right? yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, you, you take you take tackles for twenty years. Yeah. and You're still bumped. Um, I don't know. There, there's really no way to find out. It's just kind of like an educated guess. You know, with really what it was. Right. You know, and to me, it really doesn't matter what it was. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to do anything. It is what you have. Now. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the only kind of half-assed good thing I'm not about having Parkinson's, but is that it's, it's not a. It's, it's not something you're going to die from. Mm-hmm. Um, very rare people die from Parkinson's. If anything, it's you know, you fall, you hurt yourself at, at an older age, mm. or you get pneumonia. It's a couple of people because it has a lot to do with your vo- your vocal cords and your voice. Mm. So you have a
1: hard time swallowing later on in life. But, Some people have choked. And like Ali, for example, you mentioned him. He he wasn't talking at all. No, totally He, hardly he any. Lost his right. ability to talk, sort of right. thing. Yeah is that something that could be in the future? Could be. No. You know,
2: the, the, the other thing about it is there's no set format. It's not like everybody's going to get this and everybody's going to me. There's like five stages of Parkinson's like, you know, you're probably at a stage 1 still stage 2 and it's already been 6 years so my progression is really slow, which has been great. That's great, yeah. You know, um, there's been people that have progression of one from one to five like really fast mm-hmm. and either you're confined to a bed or you're confined to a wheelchair gotcha because what happens is then it starts playing with your your balance and that's when it gets dangerous because you know you're walking ah i you see know? so that's why you're either confined to a wheelchair so you're not mm-hmm. given the opportunity or the risk to fall and hurt yourself so
1: it's been a lot of fun <laughs> yeah, you know sure the, the, the
2: the other part of it is you know, they say for anybody that has a disease, it's a 50% chance of getting dementia along with it. Hmm. I started thinking that actually might be a good thing. because If I did have dementia, I could also forget
1: that I have Parkinson's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So that's a plus. Yeah, that's a I'm positive. Up. Is it something like, for example, because you had this, it started when, when you were working WBE, and that schedule was way tougher than our schedule is now, right. even pre-pandemic. Was the was the traveling something that bothered you, or were you still fine with all that?
2: Yeah, what really kind of sets things off for me is stress. <laughs> wow, yeah, never saw that. Um, and just not you know, just lack of sleep. You know, uh, being on the heat. Sometimes we'll do that. It'll kick things in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Besides that, I you know. I mean, I got other things going on. I'm a diabetic. I've had a heart attack. <laughs> you know, it's funny to start thinking about all the things, but hey, but at least I have my health. Um,
1: <laughs> you had a so, bad run for yeah, a few oh my years God. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I always
2: said uh, I didn't need a rabbit's foot; I needed the whole rabbit. <laughs> um, yeah, I, great luck. But um, you know, you, you life—those things are funny, and you just got to deal with it.
1: And you have. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's, there's. I mean, I remember. I'll never forget the text you sent I me. Mean, there's, a, there's a great picture. At the brian hildebrand memorial uh show that we did years ago of you me eddie chris and brian right and i think it was after you had the heart attack you sent me a text that said you were almost the last guy in that picture you know what scary that yeah it was really scary because that yeah. was another one he had really bad heart attack they right. very, very, very closely avoided death and that one yeah for sure
2: for sure yeah it's been uh as you get older, everybody starts dropping. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, I know, you start right? start losing your friends. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I've been real fortunate. You know, I just kind of roll with the roll with the bait, roll with the ball, and you know, what happens happens, and just try to keep positive as much as I can to the you know from one day to the next.
1: Do you think that was one of the reasons why? Another one of the reasons why you wanted to leave WWE was because of the extra stress that you got from there?
2: Uh, no, not really. I try not to let my whatever's going on in my life affect my work. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it does one day, then than it does, you know, then it's time to take a walk. But, you know, I'll keep trucking along and do what I can. I love the business, I love helping guys. You know, I always felt, because my dad was in it, that I had an opportunity. And I always felt like I feel responsible to keep this business going Mm -hmm. as long as I can.
1: Yeah. You know. Well, and that's why, once again, to have you in AEW is so important because there is so many new guys here with the new mentality but you're very you're very smart as you understand the business changes right well you have to you can't move forward right and so then you have to kind of embrace the changes and then try and figure out how to incorporate the old school quote-unquote way of doing things which always still works right if you can combine those two together
2: right well i always said the the blueprint and the mechanics and these the storytelling of the business will always be what it is Mm -hmm. how you get there is a whole different story right you know it's like when you look at movies. I mean, some of the stuff they do in movies now that we've never thought of doing 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but the same story of bad versus evil, or the guy gets the girl, or the girl gets the guy. Nowadays, it's the girl gets the girl. I mean, who knows what? <laughs> right, but right, right. I mean, the, the, the actual story part hasn't changed. It's it's everything surrounding that.
1: So, so mentally, Parkinson's doesn't affect the way that you think or anything like that.
2: No, no, yeah. not yet. Knock on. Yeah. Knock I
1: mean, on. No. Knock on wood. Because that's one of those things. Once again, like like a few a couple of my kids two of my kids have diabetes right. and type 1 diabetes and you don't really know about it until it affects somebody that's close to you and now yeah, I course. know everything about diabetes Right. it's probably the same with Parkinson's as well you yep. don't really know exactly how intricate and what it's all about unless you get it Right. the only, the only time I ever heard
2: of it was you know Michael J. Fox Muhammad Ali and then we both know Doug Finesse. Uh, Doug at Parkinson's I didn't know that uh, and uh, Doug had a pretty rough time with it he was a world-class athlete, world-class lifter. And I think what's harder from an athlete's standpoint is that you're so used to being in shape, and here comes this disease it just kind of takes over your body, and it's, it can be very ta- taxing on your on your brain, you know. Um, but, uh, I mean, Doug didn't die, let's say, per se, from Parkinson's, but but he had it when he did die.
1: Complications you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. resulting from right. it. So what kind of, 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 like, physical activity can you do as far as you know, to stay in in shape, for example.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can still do everything. I, you know, if I run or, I don't run anymore, but run away from my kids. Mm -hmm. But I I mean, like walking, you know, make sure like I'll hang on instead of walking with my arms. I'll walk, you know, neighborhoods, stuff like that. I can still lift. I can still pretty much do everything. I probably wouldn't trust me with a gun Mm -hmm. or archery, (laughs) you know, especially if you're close by, and you might might be ducking a lot. Yeah, Me picking up a gun, like, everybody should run. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like the scene in Blazing Saddles where the guy lifts his hand. He's, he's shaking. That, this is my shooter hand. Yeah. You know? That
1: looks like this is my shooting hand. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So
2: I always so, take stuff like that.
1: So, so so you can still, like you mentioned, you went to the gym, that you still go and lift weights, that sort of thing? Yeah, I can still
2: do pretty much everything. I mean, you know, I wouldn't try to do, like, a dumbbell in case something happens and it falls on my face. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I do things that I feel comfortable doing that I know that's not going to hurt me in any way or, or damage me.
1: So when you mentioned that, when you found out that you had it, you started Googling and all that sort of thing. Did you find out some some facts, both positive and negative? Like, were you really l- learning about all this stuff? I mean, it's a lot to take in all at once.
2: Yeah, you got to be careful too, because like you, you start reading things, it's, it's like you know reading social media. You hear so many different opinions, and after a while, you're like. It boggles your mind, and you don't know what the hell to believe anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like they say, there's a, about a million people a year, sixty thousand people a year get Parkinson's. Is about a million people in the United States, roughly, that have Parkinson's, and like one, one, one side will tell you the the life expectancy of Parkinson's is normal life cut by two years. And then another one says 10 to 20 years, mm. so it's like I mean that's a big difference from, sure. from one to another. So I try not to read them to get all because that's the stuff that really plays with your mind. Well, shit, I only got, I got 10 years left. Yeah. What the hell? But this guy said I only got two years. Right. I still got to add two years. Whatever. So I tr- I try to stay away from it. It's mostly just like uh, the new things that are coming out. You know, I go on the Michael J. Fox uh, site, and because he he does a lot of research. You know, like what's coming out there? What are, what are they trying? Mm-hmm. You know. Because like I said, it's gonna to get to a point where some things aren't gonna be working anymore, so you gotta find the next thing,
1: the next thing that's gonna help you with the progression of the disease. So you mentioned that when you, if you take the dopamine, then that after a certain amount of time, the effects of that wear off? Yeah, maybe, or, you gotta try, yeah
2: or you gotta try something else. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, that's, it's, until you try it, you don't know if it's gonna work. Mm-hmm. You know? And you gotta be a candidate for it too like right now I'm not gonna talk to my doctor like I'm not a candidate for the uh, the chip in the brain type deal and why is that? Uh, because I'm really not at that, that point where I think of the remember the movie uh, Naked Gun not Naked Gun uh, uh, Airplane yeah where they one in the cockpit and uh, Nelson's like what did you eat steak or fish I he said fish He just started dribbling and he's just like, his whole body was just like one big thing of jello and I said that's the point where I get to like that we need to start doing something quick you know Yeah. When it really kind of just really takes over, I think there's, like I said, there's different stages and I'm like, I'm okay now, but you know, down the future, you've got to start looking at things. Okay. Well, this ain't working. When this doesn't work, where do I go and what do I do
1: next? It's interesting because I know with diabetes, there's a lot of technology that's being, you know, worked on artificial pancreas, all that sort of thing, kind of similar, what you said about the chip in the brain. Yeah. But how would the chip in the brain be able to, would it be, would you have to put in a cartridge every while with the dopamine? I don't know exactly how that
2: works. I know there's some kind of like, kind of like diabetes where they have like a belt that shoots the insulin on, in you like on a, a daily, so many hours in or whatever. I think it's something somewhere very familiar to that where it's feeding you dopamine during the day where you don't have to like take pills.
1: Is there any other um, uh, uh, kind of technological advancements that they're working on at saying That seems interesting. No, I know. I you
2: know I know um, like the legal marijuana uh, has been tested and hmm. yeah. uh, CBD oil and stuff like that. Guys trying you know played around with it a little bit. It seems to help sometimes.
1: It helps you sometimes. Yeah,
2: not as much as taking the actual dopamine pill. It's dopamine levodopa, which is another form of uh, dopamine. You take this four days, and they're like. You know, what happens is after like thirty minutes or something, and it kicks in again. So they're kind of like uh, it keeps feeding through your system.
1: It's interesting when you hear about, like you said, the medical marijuana. I remember Brian Hildebrand right. was taking that for his cancer, and and is that because it just eases your mind, or is that actually physically help? Or
2: I'm not sure. I mean, they've done reason. You know, I've, I think probably a little bit of uh, both. You know, it takes the stress out, and stress is a big thing of having Parkinson's.
1: Gotcha. You know. So, but once you, what you're saying is once you got over the shock of it and kind of learned more about it now you're just dealing with it and living with it right
2: and that's, and that's pretty much all you can do yeah you know just get through it. every day is a different challenge like I said it's like having a roommate that you can't get rid of yeah, right, right, right. You can walk away once in a while and you know it's okay and like i wake up in the morning and jump out of bed and I go, oh, that's a good day and then all of a sudden it just kind of kicks me in so you like have a yeah so, but you know with diabetes yeah. is the same thing If your sugar level goes low, you can you know you get a little loopy. You can feel it. That's right. Same thing when it goes high. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm I get confused. And, okay, is this the Parkinson's or is this the right?
1: Now is this type two diabetes? Yeah, type that? two. Okay, type and two. that just came about with all the rest of the health problems. That you had yeah, yeah,
2: probably probably because my my heart issues that I had. Right. So I had the heart attack. Then I had the uh, triple bypass surgery. Yeah, you you name it. I've got I've got like the subway card where if I have feel like <laughs> five punches already,
1: in the sixth one free. A couple more, you get the next one free. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Um, is this something that you would, you mentioned if Michael J. Fox and Ali, is this something that you would be interested in, in not being a spokesman for, but something you would want to talk about more? No, but if I, well, if I
2: could, you know, if there's somebody out there that was listening and, you know, hey, I'm going through the same thing as far as, you know, being embarrassed, and, and you shouldn't be embarrassed, but, you know, it's kind of like a, a man-male thing, I guess. I'm not saying women don't get embarrassed, I'm just saying just feels like a a male thing from a standpoint of, you know, hey, I I don't shake, or, you know, I I couldn't have that disease, or, no, I have it, and the thing is to learn how to
1: deal with it. Were you you embarrassed about it at first?
2: Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. I didn't want anybody to know that I had
1: it, Mm. you
2: know, but the problem is, like, I could talk to you, and my hand could shake, and I don't even know it's shaking, so other people could see that and I, I seriously doubt they're thinking okay he's practicing jazz hands or he's cold or he's or he's on something or he's an alcoholic. They would think drugs or something. Right, yeah. right, the way, the way the world is now. Right. So cuz it's not like oh he has he probably has parkinsons, mm-hmm. you know. Cuz like i said there's other things that are connected with with tremors. Mm-hmm. Um MS is one. Mm-hmm. You know, which is right, very very popular. Mm-hmm. Um there's just so many other diseases that that have that connected to it. So you'd, mm-hmm. you'd be looking at somebody going, hey, "Well, I mean, yeah, Parkinson's. I'm not sure."
1: Mm-hmm. You know, well, you just have to adapt to it, like you said, because there's nothing there's nothing that you can really do about it.
2: No, not at all. Yeah, I could just you know keep going day by day, and when it gets to a point where it's getting worse, try to find something that'll help me with the progression of it. Mm-hmm. That's real. Like I said, the real secret of it is to life quality. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure the quality of your life while you're here. Right. And you have it, it's the best student we can
1: make it. Well, especially, like you said, your job, and has been for almost 40 years, is being on the road. Right. You know, and right now, thankfully, I mean, we're very fortunate. We live in Tampa. It's a very quick flight to come to Jacksonville. Yeah. But sooner or later, we'll be going back on the road again. Yeah, but it's not as, as much as we used to. So we're yeah, gonna, being away from home right. for a couple days now, and this is not going to affect your ability to do that.
2: No, Cause now, no. Because I've already had this for six or seven years. Right. So it's not like I just I just had it. I've been dealing with it for like six, seven years already. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of used to it.
1: You know, it's funny. Yesterday, um, I'm really appreciative that you were come to talk about all this stuff. But to talk more a little bit about a wrestling wrestling stuff, um, I guess they were watching some matches downstairs last night or something. And, and MJF mentioned that they watched uh, uh, me and Eddie versus you and Chris. I guess one of the Nitros mm. matches. And I don't know... It, when you watch those matches I just saw one the other day of me and Eddie versus uh, H- Haku and Barbarian and I don't watch a lot of the old stuff but it's fun to watch do you watch any old matches of yours? Um, sometimes if I'm trying
2: to tell somebody how to do something yeah, I'll find it and watch it so I can see this is what I'm talking about yeah uh, like uh, Kip Sabin loves the thing off the top rope that I do with the gut buster the gut buster yeah so he, he did one yesterday in the ring he didn't go to the top you know I get a lot of the guys, you know, they watch your stuff and hey, can you show me how to do that and you know, can you show me how to do that, that's really cool or you know, it's flattering and, and uh, I'm not going to work anymore so I might as well, you know, let yeah. these guys take
1: it and, and, as long as they can do it right. Right. Uh, you know. It's interesting because one of the things that I see when I watch some of your old stuff is how smooth of a worker you were. And it's very impressive because not a lot of guys work like that in this and right. age.
2: Right. A lot of guys are worried about, you know, are they looking at me? You know, right? is the crowd reacting. Um, how many flips can I do off the top rope as opposed to you know just think of the wrestling aspect of it? And that's part of my job is kind of bring these pull these guys back a little bit you start thinking, you know where we're we gonna be ten years from now? You know, guys are doing triple flips and, right. you know as long as they can sell and react what they're doing, you know like a Ray Phoenix is is amazing.
1: Let's talk about him how, do you, how do you, what do you see in Ray Phoenix? Um, definitely, kind of a modern day Rey Mysterio, taking things oh, to the next nice sure. level, right? Oh,
2: for sure. he's uh, He's really understand the the art of selling and letting things digest with the audience. He's not. When I first came married, he was all over the place. And slowly but surely, he's starting to grasp that. With every when you're writing something, with every sentence, there's a period or a comma, so you can stop digest what happened then going to the next thing where before he was just it was like one long book with no periods and all the words just got jambled right. together. So he's he's really improved on that and you can really see the difference. He's probably to me one of, the, one, one of the top guys we have right now in the company.
1: The most agile for sure. Oh, it's unbelievable.
2: It's like every week I watch him, I just get amazed more than, than the previous week when I see him.
1: Like you said too, also a very good seller, and which is not easy to do when you're wearing a mask. No, no. He
2: has the, like Ray, had that rare rare gift of his body motions and his, and his body language of getting sympathy from the audience and he was also about 140 pounds when we were working with him. Right. WCW like tossing a pizza
0: <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: Let's talk about that story. Let's talk about Rey Mysterio because you really were one of the guys that kind of put him on the map in the United States. And when you first saw him, was it in WCW? Had you seen him before in ECW? Or? No, I
2: saw him on a tape. He was working. Uh, he was working Psychosis in Japan in a match. Right. And uh, I'm like, holy crap, who's this kid? And Kevin, I know Kevin Sullivan at the time was looking to kind of broaden the broaden the scope of the cruiserweight division and bringing people in from all over the world. Right. When we had guys coming in from Europe and Mexico and man, and I just said, I think I talked to Eddie or Conan. And said, the, the kid Ray Mysterio any any chance of him coming here. I said, I'd love to work with him because it was such a different, diverse style. You know, I'm the Matt guy and he's the flyer. And um, the funny story, has been told several times over, but it's still, it's still a great it's story. It's a great story, though. Is when we were in Baltimore, it was a great American bash. So Ray just thought basically he was having a tryout match and just a match. He had no clue whatsoever that he was on a pay-per-view until after the fact. And I remember walking in the locker room and staying in Lex, and all the big guys were almost like laughing, like, you got to be kidding me, this, right. this this kid got a driver's license, he's like 12 years old and he's 100 pounds. <laughs> like he's good, like, in their head, he's going to embarrass them. think like, yeah, Nash was there, Hall was there they were on the stage, and when he came back through the first, probably the first and maybe only time I've ever seen the locker room stand up and give a guy a standing ovation. Because at that, at that time in the business, you know, there wasn't Ray Phoenixes. there wasn't all those guys, and... Ray was the guy.
1: Well, and he was so small, too. Yeah, yeah, I remember the first time I saw him was actually with Benoit at the Super Jacob second stage. Right. And we were watching him. It was, like, it was like, I couldn't uh, calculate, and, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what the word is. I, I couldn't figure out with my eyes, with my brain, what, what I was seeing with my eyes. Like, right. how is he doing that? Yeah. But it was the same thing, because right beforehand, Tenryu's brother-in-law was um, kind of the, the president. And he I saw him yelling at Dragon, ultimate dragon, right. and I have to ask him about What was he yelling about? He said he's yelling about Ray, Ray Mysterio. He says it's embarrassing that he's here. It's going to embarrass our company. And I said, "Well, just let him have the." He said, "He'll have the match, but we're never, right. ever, ever." And as soon as the match was done, he was <clears> like, "Can <throat> we sign him for right. you know fifty weeks or whatever the hell?" One thing I've always, I've always said and I've always stuck by is that
2: when the audience is clapping, cheering, or screaming, you can't tell if those cheers are for a guy that's five two, right, six two, seven two. No, you're cheering because the guy is incredible at what he does. You know, Ray was a quick, really caught on quick. You know, I think a lot of it was Eddie telling him, you know, if, if you work with Dean, listen to Dean. Right. You know, like I would hold him down and not yet. You know, I kind of got him so he was selling everything and taking his time in between all the spectacular moves that he's doing. So I got the maximum benefit from it,
1: but from the audience. And man, he just he just caught on like fire. You know, it's interesting what you just said that, that Eddie mentioned because you were a guy... Like you were not, but you were one foot in the listening to the crowd and the technical the part of it and selling and, and taking your time, but also too, the other foot in being you know a junior heavyweight in Japan, a cruiserweight in WCW, right. working with all of us that were at the time. And now it's hilarious to even think about it with the way guys work now. But just all over the place, hundred miles an hour, right. and you—that's why I mentioned you were the guy that we would. Listen to on uh, putting together the match and kind of in the ring because you had that experience that we didn't have of of kind of the like we said what the real crux of right. wrestling is.
2: Right, I was I was very uh, fortunate that I had like so many different careers like working in Japan for 14 years when I came out of the states and was working for ECW then WCW like. I'm not the new kid on the block. I've already had put 14, 15 years in. Working with a diverse group of guys over in Japan, which which is a great learning place to learn the the art of our business, because there was the, you know, the language barrier. And then you're working one night, you're working with the Japanese guy. Another night, you're working with the Fit Fit Finley Mm -hmm. from Ireland. And the next night, you're working with the guy from Mexico. Next night, you're working with the guy from Stampede in Calgary. And so you're working with so many different guys, so many different styles you know and then you that's where because everybody steals from everybody I was saying this the other day at the seminar the secret is you steal from everybody but then you twist it and you turn it and you tweak it you make it your own now you own it now it becomes yours Mm. because there's really only so many things you can do to the human body you can only twist turn throw toss there's only so many things you do right but you take what everybody else is doing even from the past or the the present and you make it your own you put your own little little stamp on it and that's what I always
1: try to do you know well it's like it's like music like there's only so many notes you can play right it's how do you put them in the right order and, and what's the groove and what's the timing and that's right. what wrestling is all about yeah. as well you know when you mentioned Japan I kind of want to go through some of your opponents that you worked with quite a bit one of my favorite matches that I haven't seen in years but, but and I've told you this is you and your brother Joe against the British Bulldogs um, Davey Boy and Dynamite such a cool match it was all Japan what was it like working with those guys because Davey was very big and muscular but he also worked very much like a, a junior heavyweight, quote unquote, because yeah, I think he right. learned when he was so small, that when he put the muscle on, he still had that muscle memory to do a lot of this quick yeah. motion movement. Yeah, it was,
2: uh, it was a great experience. That was in 19, 1988 was that mm-hmm. that match took place. I was actually watching it just the other day. Oh yeah. And um, Dynamite was kind of like on his tail end of the business. He was kind of really beat up at that point. His hips were gone, Hips were gone. but you know, he was with a bunch of guys that kind of took care of him during the matches. Um, they were um dynamite taught me a lot about the business over there like you know if you don't press forward the japanese guys will reach up it's until you stop them and show them that that's not going to happen you'll gain the respect gotcha so that was that was very very because i remember getting kicked by kawada mazawa where their laces used to be embedded in my yeah. chest i'm like hold on this is bullshit you know until the next time they kick me i'm knocking, knocking for a loop and the next time it goes from they are holding it right. really
1: tight to really loose. Time in a knot for yeah, a couple the, seconds he you you know, lose your the own, right? You yeah.
2: Know, of course he did it in his own language, but he was uh, very, very beneficial and very helpful into, you know, teaching me stuff like that. Because, and he spent a big part of his career in Japan, as we all know. What
1: about as a worker? You mentioned he was at the tail end, but still good
2: is good. Oh no, he was still great. I mean he was he wasn't doing the the flying headbutt to the outside of the concrete anymore, thank God. But uh and, Dave, and Davey was the muscle kind in the group, so they really kind of gelled two different styles, you know. Davey was he's Davey, was
1: Davey and we had a lot of fun with him, yeah, going out after the matches and stuff, and he's a character, but a great worker. What about some of the bigger guys that you worked with when you were over in Japan? Because everybody kind of works with everybody at times. Yeah, we um, you know we got a lot of times
2: we got to work with uh, Steve Williams and Gordy, and that was a lot of fun. How
1: was that for you guys? As being two kind of smaller guys, but obviously I'm sure they respected you. Yeah, it
2: was great. We had a lot of fun with those guys because Steve had a little bit of a amateur bat, a little bit, <laughs> had a great amateur background. Terry, not so much, but he was he was like head over heels over everybody at 14 years old, 15 years old when he started. Um, those guys were a lot of fun to work with. Very giving. Both great workers, extremely good workers.
1: What's the psychology for you when you when you work with someone like Doctor Death and and Run?
2: <laughs> right. One of my funniest stories is uh is me and my brother one night against Doc and uh, Doc and uh, Terry, and Doc's on the uh, apron. I was coming in to feed for a comeback, and I could tell something was going on. And he was getting red in the face, and he was like pacing back and forth like a tiger in a tank. And Terry gave him the hot tag, and Doc comes running in. And he's yelling across the ring, "I don't know what's next." And he's coming at like a million miles, and there's nothing <laughs> I can do. And I just said, Clothesline. So he clotheslined me, He hit me so hard, I did like a one and a half triple Lindy and, landed and ended up in Baba's lap in like the third row. And then he's trying to apologize. I go, no, just, just, just go to the finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a very scary sight. He's coming at you, <laughs> yeah. about 280 pounds. And looks, it, looked, it looked like a bull, like steam was coming from his ears. And Especially when he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Nice. Which, which is uh, pretty funny. But we, you know, we had a lot of fun. Um, there was another night where, um, you know, like when you go to Japan, you go into the locker rooms, you, defer, you try to find the piece of paper on the wall. It has all the listed matches. So somebody opened their mouth, I think it was uh, Phil, uh, Danny Crawford, said, How come you guys never work with Spivey or Stan Hansen? You know, never said never. So we get to the locker room, my brother sees Malenko brother versus Hansen. Well, everybody on the bus was like, they couldn't wait. It was like a curtain jerk. Yeah. So I, all I remember that I was a bat, I was like a bat I was upside down the tree well the entire match, and I think I was hit with everything from a bell to a boot. To, I mean, you name it. And somewhere during the match, Stan said fight back, and I said with what? <laughs> like you know, a gun, a, a car. Yeah. Like I had nothing left, and all those guys were laughing in the bus, and Stan got pissed off because they were laughing, and it was just it was, it was very very entertaining. Well, Stan was a
1: wild a wild man over there.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I always said guys that were so totally opposite from the culture. All, all those guys were...
0: Those are the guys that got
2: over, like the Brodies, the Abdul the Butchers, yeah. Tiger Jet Sings. They were so different from the Japanese culture. They were very curious about how these people were.
1: I When I went back to Japan in 2018, when I started with Kenny, and then I worked with Naito and Okada and Tanahashi, I, I, I watched a lot of Brody mm-hmm. matches. And I, I gained some weight as well to try... because. Like you just said, I'm not Brody's size, but in 2019 on the New Japan roster, I was. I was one of the bigger guys and a little bit crazier and a little bit uh, more of a a brawling style. And it got over huge. I mean, the headline, the Tokyo Dome, three years in a row because of it. But I was smart, like you said, because there was nobody working like Brody that was a foreigner, right? And not that you could ever work like Brody, but oh, just no. a little bit more wilder, crazier, yep. and just beating the shit out of these guys, right. and it, it worked.
2: Again, anything that's different from their culture, they would kind of gravitate
1: towards. Yeah, what were some of the differences between working for Baba and then working for for New Japan? I'm not sure if I know. Well, was well the, well, the, the big thing but...
2: was like you know, all Japan was more. <laughs> I almost
1: said tag team oriented,
2: mm-hmm. more 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 tag teams. It was more focused about tag teams. And single matches where Liger was the mainstay and he was the guy that was kind of centered around for New Japan from a junior heavyweight cruiserweight type type um, spot so there was a lot more single matches so after my brother kind of got a little tired of the business and I kind of went off on my own it was a easy easy jump to go to New Japan from all Japan because now they had a natural transition single, yeah. so I had all the single guys and that's where me and and while Matt and Eddie and Brad Armstrong and there's a whole list of us that we're going over on the tours, and there's a great bunch of guys to work with, you know.
1: Let's talk about some of those guys. Let's talk about working with uh, with Liger. What was he like? Awesome. He was, yeah. you know, he was very giving. You know, very very easy.
2: He loved to have fun. You know, he loved business. Yeah, I mean, I was a day off, you know, it was just, it was just fun to work on. He's one of those guys where, you know, you walk in the locker room, you go to Liger, and I'm like, oh, that's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, you're like, thank God, it's not somebody else. I remember the first time I, I worked with Liger in a single match. I had worked with Ben Juan a tag match the night before, and I, you'll understand this story more than anybody. I went for a spin kick, and I missed him by probably an inch, where no one would ever notice. And he bumped off it, as he probably should have, because it was close enough. Right. And he was so mad at himself that he wanted to do 500 hack squats. So I joined him like an idiot. And the next day, I couldn't even walk. And that was, of course, you hardly make it down the steps to the bus. and the bus go to the arena? And there it is, you know, Chris Jericho, Liger, singles match. And I was like, mother I f- can't even walk. <laughs> remember I had the young boys massaging my legs and that sort of a thing, you know. Um, hotel, the store, remember Liger with the ketchup bottle?
2: Oh, the, God. Was it was a Heinz 57. He, yeah, he came to he came in the States touring. They were trying to find some different talent to bring back over to uh, Japan. And we went to a Cracker Barrel. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's ever picked up a, catcher, uh, catchers, a ketchup bottle that's not popped a seal yet may know this is kind of like an old thing where you turn the bottle upside down where it says 57 on it. You put your palm on it and you hit it a couple of times. It kind of breaks the seal and then ketchup falls out but as I was explaining it to him I had my index finger on it yeah. I was kind of rubbing 57 kind of showing him this right here is where you use your bomb. Yeah. so he puts his finger on it and starts to rub it and we're all looking at <laughs> each other like and I just told everybody, I don't say anything don't correct him we want to
1: see how long he's going to rub it until he realize the ketchup the <laughs> ketchup the, ketchup, genie comes the up. ketchup was not coming out. <laughs> what was um, to talk about Brad Armstrong a little bit another um, kind of underrated worker yeah, what a talent! What a talent! He,
2: uh, all the brothers were extremely talented. Brad was Brad was smooth, man. He uh, he, he can do it all. Mm. Best Russian leg sweep in the business. Yeah. That, that, that that's a move we were talking the other day. No, you don't see that anymore. You're right. Yeah, he, and he did it. He he did it with and he kicked that float over at the same time. his
1: finish, right? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. or one, or just a hot move. Or like a lead into it or something like that. Yeah. But he, that was he was synonymous with that. You know, that was that was his thing.
1: You know, when Brad Brad hooked you for it. Stuff like that, you know, it's all as new. You, you know. know, it's interesting. He, he was a lot like you in that in in the back, in the dress room, like just like the 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 class clown. No, but star. in the ring, none none of that. He was right. very serious in the ring.
2: The best nights I ever had was it was me Eddie and Brad, and we were at the Hard Rock in Osaka, and they started playing James Brown, and Brad got up and took the the uh, what do you call it the uh, Thing off the table, the, um, the, the tablecloth, and he put it around his neck and got on the bar and started dancing and singing with the, with a uh, with a bottle, <laughs> a beer bottle, and he got I got a standing ovation from the crowd. The, yeah, I wish back then we had cell phones and iPads right. like and stuff, which we didn't. It was just memory, but it was uh, very. Brad was that kind of guy. He, yeah. was just, he was really good with like imitating Sammy Davis and like all the old the old type singers and stuff. All the
1: brothers were good, very talented and very talented in the ring too, as we saw we start to wind down here. We've, we've talked about him a few times, but let's, let's again, like i watching this match that I had the other day with Eddie and I versus, um, uh, Haku Barbarian, you were actually involved in the finish because you and Eddie were working on something and you ended up pushing him off the top rope right into a high boot from ha- Haku. Looked great. Let's talk a little bit about, about Eddie as a worker. Um, because watching him, be like, man, this guy was so good. And then people know this, but you kind of forget over the years right. when you don't see these matches every day. Cause there's so many, matches now that are going on with right. guys
2: and he was like a chameleon he could play a lot of different roles you know and i've heard you say this too and it's the truth because maybe sean make the only other guy i could think of sean michaels only guy i think of that did this but he was just as hot as a babyface as he was was a heel mm-hmm. or vice versa that's hard to do you know it's extremely hard to do i mean you could be booed but nothing nowhere like the kind of heat that eddie could generate being a heel but then in two seconds all you had to do was smile and now he's a baby face, mm-hmm. you know. And he knew how to play both roles. To the, to the, I mean, to the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was that gifted, and he, he could wrestle. You know, a lot of people don't think. Uh, you know, he did. He had a little amateur career. He wrestled in high school a little bit. You know, so he had a little. Ooh, yeah. You know, uh, that's the first thing I noticed. The first time I ever worked with him, and he was he was fine on the mat. But uh, and he had that uh had that Mexican blood in him. You know, it would fuel fire sometimes in the ring. But that was great because it made it, it made it real. Mm-hmm. He, he was he was not shy about showing emotion, as we both know. He wore his emotions on his sleeves sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the only that I, used to drive me nuts about is every match I used to walk out of like, oh, that was that was bad, or yeah. like, okay, I got to the form, I was like, you're right, Eddie, that was shit. You know, instead of trying to like talk him yeah. talk him off the
1: ledge. It's like he's fishing for compliments, but yeah, he's not. No, you're right. Just, I was just
2: screaming shit. I would just walk <laughs> away, you know. So sometimes I, I think he, he didn't enjoy the business because he was so critical of himself, you know. And that's just all about being a perfectionist, mm-hmm. you know. But man, I always said when he was on, when the
1: light was on, and he was on, there's nobody better. I agree with you on that. Absolutely. Was it hard? You guys were so close as friends and, and, and had wrestled so many times. Was it, not hard, but was it a, a strange transition when you're now in the office and, and the agent you're kind of technically, not his boss, but right. you're kind of in charge of his matches and telling him what he has to do and that sort of thing? No, the, the only the only really,
2: <laughs> I wouldn't say it was a battle. The only conflict, the first and only conflict that we really had was we were in Germany and uh, you'll, you'll know Eddie when I mention this. So for some reason, the German crowd could be a little rough. And for some reason, they didn't like Eddie. So
1: was the baby face? Yeah, who was the
2: baby face Gosh. and Bradshaw was the heel that night. And Eddie got pissed off because they weren't cheering for him. So Eddie did what Eddie does in the middle of a match. Rolls out, grabs the mic and tells everybody to go f themselves and they're son of a bitches and he hates germany he hopes he never comes back and blah 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 turn himself heel basically walks out of the ring i said eddie he goes not now i'll talk to you later walks right out get a knock on my door about three o'clock in the morning it's the apologetic
0: eddie
2: (laughs) you knew you've heard this eddie i look at the little people shoulders are up slump back you ready Sorry, Dean. Go to bed, Ed. Talk to you in the morning, bud. That was it. And I just see him walking away like this. Yeah, this what look, he said hunched over Eddie. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal, it probably won't go well. So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: Talking about, you know, and, and we, we we talked about this earlier just briefly, but you worked behind the scenes in WWE for 15 years? 12 years? Plus, 19, eight, like, behind 18, the 19. scenes, Yeah. So, what was your, like the working relationship with, with, with Vince, like what did he expect from you and did he, did he need, he deemed, I need you to do this? Or like kind of what was your relationship with him on a working standpoint? It was fun. You know, it's I just- it, he trusted you. Yeah.
2: yeah. I thought we had a great relationship, you know, like the beginning and the, and the middle. It really wasn't bad at the end either. It just that, uh, I just thought it was time for me to go. Uh, yeah. And you know, join someone else's, join sure, someone sure. else's show type of deal. But um, you know, Vince is very stern. And you know and it's his show and we get that um, I don't think he expected anything less than perfection or didn't want anything less than perfection uh, I think he trusted me a lot um, just going out there and helping talent and trying to get the best match and camera angles and you know teach guys the business a little bit and help them out mm-hmm. kind, of what, kind of what I do here that's really the well, sure. you know back there was a producer you were called a producer or an agent funny story so we were at the um, uh, I was at the Hammerstein Ballroom. As Leonard Vince said, uh, from now on, there's no more agents. I don't know what agents do. You're now a producer because you help produce the matches. So from this day forward, you're kind of like a producer. So I-, I couldn't help myself. I raised my hand and, yes, Dean. And I go, do producers make more money than agents? And he goes, no, pretty much the same.
1: <laughs> All <laughs> so, right. I'll do whatever you need but to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm a producer. Right, right. Was it hard sometimes being like in the gorilla position where Vince is there watching, and then when you have your match that you're that you're producing, you have to sit down with the headphones on as well. Right. Was there times that it just gets a little abrasive up there, or what's the reactions that you? Yeah.
2: Again, you put on a live live telecast most of the times, and uh, you you want it to be the best you can, you know. And again, it's his show, mm-hmm. and if he wants to scream at you, yell at him, that's his business, you know. Sometimes you gotta be extremely extremely hardened to work in that kind of job, in that kind of environment. It's not the easy, easiest environment to work in, work into. There's a lot of guys that could have made been really good producers who have looked at me and go, there's no way in hell I would ever take that job. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do what you do. That's, mm-hmm. I used to hear that a lot. I still hear that. You know, I couldn't do what you do. And it is, it's a very taxing job, it's very stressful um, because you're, you're, there's expectations of you to succeed every night uh, and make sure things are different. So uh it was a ride, for sure.
1: Is it ever hard being a producer when you're putting together a match? Because obviously, I'm sure there's nothing better than when a match goes great and you are behind. Oh, of it, course. And nothing worse than when it doesn't work right. out. Well, I,
2: one time there's a match and uh, and uh, I clicked on and and uh, oh Vince, oh he said who, who is this? And I said it's Dean. I know. He said who is this? I go it's me. Which he hated pronouns. And I said I said he well I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he want to talk about the match. I said well. If you like the match, it's Dean's. If you don't like the match, it's Steve Kearns. Steve wasn't even working there. <laughs> I think Steve, Steve quit before that. But you had to be, you had to be very selective and very careful when you wanted to play around with Vince. Because if you didn't want to, then you knew that real quick. There's right. sometimes he liked that, you know, back in the day, he liked to have fun with the boys. Mm-hmm. You know, you could joke with them and stuff like that. But uh, there's also a time for you don't do
1: that. Right. You exactly. Know? When you at your last few years, though, like like for example, we always worked together. You were right. Like, was it, what other guys did you always work with? Mm, or did yeah, they still have that there? I
2: don't know if they still have that there. I think everybody kind of works with everybody. Gotcha. And you know, I think uh, TJ. I think he works with the girls a little bit. Jamie works a lot with like you know the misses and uh, kind of top guys with Michael, uh, Michael Hayes. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's just you know. Whatever the card is that night.
1: Gotcha. So it's kind of like you know before Cena was always with Arn and yeah, and yeah. There was a Rocks there was, was
2: a piece of paper that came out that had you know you're the producer and here's the guys under under you. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, you know, but they never kind of really that was written, but it never really
1: worked that way. Yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, last few things. So here in in AEW, you mentioned a few names, but who are some of the guys that you think over the next few years will be the ones that really take this business, this take this company. I tell you, it's
2: really been fun for me because you know when you're working for Vince and you're working on the road there for 18, 19 years, you're in this giant bubble. Mm. So all there's all these independent companies that are out there. I didn't, I never got to see any of these guys. Agreed, me too. So this is like the first time I'm get to see. Like I am so impressed with Ricky Starks. Mm. Like where has this guy been? Right. This guy should have been working for Vince 10 years ago. I don't know when he broke in the How business. How did he fall through the cracks? Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's a guy we talked to the night. He should be by himself. That, that kid's money. Mm-hmm. He is so confident in the ring. And he's, he's the guy that you walk in the bar and just look at him and go, he looks like a dick. Yeah, Yeah. like Miz. That's what Miz got over him. And Miz busts his ass every night, he works hard. And um, it was funny, you know, Ricky was so excited about the the outcome of the, uh, the match that he just had with Sting. He was like crying in the hallway. Goes, oh, was he? Yeah, but but it was great, it was cool because it was like, I go, Are you okay? He's like, yeah, it's just, man, I've never been a part of something like this. I'm like, Should you be a part of something like this all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, between him and Jungle Boy and, and Darby and all his kids got great and they're not they're not being held back to express their feelings and their creativity. Right. Especially Darby more so than anybody.
1: I think I mean, Darby Kids was one got... of the main directors on the, the cinema. Oh my gosh.
2: It was extremely well done.
1: You know, that's one thing that, that I noticed is that when we bring in and I, I picked this up when I came back to Vince in 2016 when I was working with Kevin Owens and Seth and, and, and Roman and it's like Sami Zayn and Cesaro. Like working with these guys extends my career. It gives them a rub, but it gives me a rub too. Oh, of course, I wouldn't want to go back and you know rekindle a feud with Hunter or Shawn because like, then it's kind of like two older guys in the ring together. If it's me versus, you know, Orange Cassidy's, just two guys working. Right. One has a bigger name value, but one is super popular, and we do that here, like by putting Darby with Sting, that helped Darby and it helped Sting, right. and it helped Ricky and it helped, you know, uh, Brian Cage and all well, that. From guys. the beginning
2: of time in our business, it was always the protocol was on your way out or when you're an older guy is to help get the younger guys over. That's right. So you keep the business flourished and you mm-hmm. keep the business going. Right. Some guys have a problem with that. That was always, always that was the protocol of the business,
1: and, and that's what we do here. Not at the expense. You know, when I right. watch you know the the, the the legends shows that the WWE has, they'll come and just beat up the legends, bury the legends, demean the legends. Our legends are treated with respect, right. which conversely helps the guys that work with them right. get well, over too. They do
2: stuff, but it's not to get a reaction or a pop. It's to help the other guy.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. That's I exactly. think we've done a
2: really good job bringing the right right guys in. That uh, understand that. Right. And then I come in and go, oh, there's a camera. And <laughs> yeah. you back on TV again. Yeah. And get a whole new push.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think we've done a great job over the last year considering that we've been a company longer with no fans than we were with fans. Right. I mean, it was quite the strange adjustment. And thankfully, now we're starting to get more people and hopefully we'll be able to go back touring again. But that was a very strange year to, to do what we do in front mm-hmm. of nobody. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been
2: crazy, that's for sure. But I think everybody uh, made the best of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Especially so. Tony. Yeah, totally, yeah. Last question for you. For your career, is there a match that stands out as as, as your favorite or the best one that you've had or the one you're most proud of, something that pops in your head? Um,
2: not really. It wasn't one of our better matches, but I think only because it, it was – the way it was done, and the whole show was generated around us, was the two out of three falls last night in ECW for me and Eddie, because Joey did a marvelous job of commentary. But the whole show revolved around us from beginning to end.
1: Oh, were you the main event?
2: Well, I think we were the only show, on, uh, match on the show, pretty much. Oh, uh, the way they the way they filmed like The TV it. show? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Movie, like gotcha. A, gotcha. Like an hour TV show or something like
1: that. Gotcha.
2: And uh, just because the the raw emotion of the crowd, and it was me and Eddie leaving to go somewhere else to. Oh, you know, gotcha. So we were going to WCW at the time, leaving. And there was two good friends that were just going out and doing it their way. Kind of a, a little Frank Sinatra there. <laughs> but, um, you know, you worked up and the crowds were crazy. Yeah. But they were also very respectful to guys that could wrestle. It wasn't always just about crashing through tables or bob wire or whatever.
1: Well, the, the, they would had a lot like AEW has. Right. Have, you would have the bar wire match, and then you'd have right. two out of three falls, yep. and then the yeah. and, and Guerrero. Yeah. Now,
2: Paul was, Paul was very smart when, when it came to doing that. Because it mm-hmm. gave the audience different matches to watch, different yeah, styles.
1: Like a buffet of styles. Yep,
2: for sure, for Who sure. won
1: the two out of three falls? Do you remember? It was a tie. <laughs> was it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Kind of wanted to. Know. Eddie was like, "Why are we going to have a tie?" I go, "Well, you never know. Maybe back you up another <laughs> one again."
1: Was it the third fall that ended? Yeah, in the third, draw? Third, well, third. Oh, I
2: know it was third fall, and it was both uh, of our shoulders mm-hmm. were down. Yeah, I'm
1: surprised you weren't arguing who was going to put each other over. Yeah. You're going over, Dean. You're I mean, going over. Yeah, that yeah. That's what we did him we both beat each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was half the fun. <laughs> well, Dean, it's it's always cool talking to you, man. Like I said, it's, uh, it's very brave for you to talk about Parkinson's. And if you see Dean in the future, just know he's not a junkie or he's not cold. <laughs> <laughs> Send money. <laughs> yeah. now, thank you for allowing me to use your platform. I really appreciate it. Right. Thanks, bud.